Hello, welcome back to Immature Politics with me, Terry Wang. And me, Cooper Smith. Today we're going to be talking about the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, also known as NATO, created back in the 50s, I want to say. I believe it was the 50s, yes. The 50s, in order to protect European and North American nations against a potential Russian attack. Um, As well as the spread of communism to other regions of the world. Yeah. Like in Korea and Vietnam and mm-hmm. Africa. Africa, yes. Oh, and and um, South America. Everywhere. Yes, there. there everywhere. Yeah, everywhere pretty much. Mm-hmm. Okay, so is it my turn to begin or is it your turn? I believe it's your turn. Okay. So, the, so NATO originally created was for an enemy that was very much alive. Um. And even though that enemy is now gone, when it comes to um, when it comes to geopolitical power, I'd say the organization is still essential in order to maintain security within Europe and to be able to um, create a strong alliance between Western nations in order to protect themselves against any nation that might do harm against them. Um, the only reason why we were able to dispose of uh, enemies in the Middle East, albeit maybe not effectively, um, was through the partnerships that were forged through NATO. I mean, yes, it wasn't exactly a NATO action, but it was definitely the coalition was created by nations who, well, created by mostly by nations in NATO who saw um who had the same goals and those goals could have only been created if they were together in NATO. So I'd say NATO is not a waste of money as some people would think it. And while yes, some nations haven't been able to pay their dues, I think I think Europe altogether, if they're able to become a combined if we're able to factor all of their armed forces together they are still able to create a formidable force. So yeah, that's it. All right. So my position on NATO is that while uh, that it, it's creation, it was created for the purpose of containing the communist threat. Mm-hmm. And now that the communist threat has been more or less completely and utterly suppressed... It has no reason for its current existence except to uh, irk the uh, Russian people and give Putin uh, justification for his expansion into the East, uh, into the West. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it all it doesn't serve any other purpose except to uh, give fuel for Putin's uh, nationalistic fire. Yeah. And. Uh, also serves to uh, uh, act within the interventionist uh, adventures of America in the Middle East, which have been disastrous not only for uh, America, but for Middle Easterners, as seen with the overthrow of many Middle Eastern dictators, such as Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi. Mm-hmm. Um, things are definitely worse in those countries since we have uh, 
intervened and NATO has only helped to facilitate our intervention. Uh, and NATO also remains as a, a uh, um, I suppose, a crutch for Europe in the military sense. And that crutch is completely supported by America. Uh, I do not believe that American dollars and American soldiers should be going to die in uh, the Ukraine. And they shouldn't be dying in a country that isn't theirs and defending countries that aren't theirs. Uh, Europe and European countries have the responsibility of arming themselves and maintaining their own armies. Uh, and they do not have the right to uh, exploit our charity by refusing to pay their uh, 2% GDP minimum dues to, um, to the funds for, for, fun for funding NATO. Uh, and they're not entitled to the lives of American soldiers to fight within their own interests. So I would say that NATO ought to be totally and completely dissolved through a gradual process in which America exits from the military affairs of Europe and by extension, the rest of the world. All right. So from my understanding, I understand that your argument against NATO is uh, ties in very much towards your idea that the U.S. should not be should not be intervening in foreign conflicts. Right. Yes. So. I mean, I understand, like, I don't know. I don't think any American citizen would want to interfere in, uh, interfere in um, Middle Eastern conflicts, especially what happened, especially after what happened during the Bush administration. Um, and I feel like, while yes, we shouldn't be inter um, intervening in foreign conflicts, we should remain in NATO, or at least continue to support the framework of NATO, because one of the reasons why Russia hasn't been so aggressive in Ukraine or in Georgia is because of NATO. NATO is able to keep Russia in check because I'm sure if we didn't have NATO, if we had the usual alliances that of the United Kingdom and France and you know having all these like non-line states in Europe Russia would be much more aggressive in their expansion into Ukraine, possibly even um, having, even going back to expansionist policies of the Soviet Union with, um, with virtually forcing satellite states, such as you know, the Baltic states, into housing their troops. And I think that NATO was able to keep Russia in check, especially after the fall of the Soviet Union to be able to stop them from being so aggressive. I mean, yes, they are aggressive now, but think about how much more aggressive they would be if they didn't know that there's a huge organization of nations in front of them towards the West. Well, to that, I would say that um, despite the fact that I think that argument is flawed, that the reason that Russia has hasn't been aggressive as they could be is because of NATO. Uh, I disagree with that. Well, but, then, even if the, but even if that were true, it's not the responsibility of American soldiers. It's not the responsibility of the U.S. Uh, 
to send American soldiers to die in a foreign land for a foreign people. Well, no, there's no especially when we have no vested interest in doing so. NATO isn't the current role of NATO is a preventative force. It's not. I doubt that preventing preventing any Russian escalation. I doubt that Russia anytime soon will attack a NATO member because they know they can't take on NATO members. And we've discussed about before off the podcast about how Russia definitely cannot win a World War III situation um, if we use conventional weapons. But we can't... NATO is there to be able to stop Russia. It's it's literally this huge thorn in their side telling them, hey, keep on, if you become even more aggressive, we will do something to stop you. And I think it's a large deterrent against Russian expansion. See, I would disagree with that. I'd say that NATO has allowed for the bolstering of and encouraging of Russian expansion. Because if you if if you look at a map of Europe uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union, and you see uh, the uh, timeline in which various countries in Europe and uh, various post-Soviet states and post-Soviet uh, um, uh, uh, bloc states have joined organizations like the EU and NATO, uh, you can see the fear that Russians would have towards uh, the Western European alliances and how it could very much bolster, how, th- how that fear could bolster a sense of uh, nationalism and militarism, which would, uh, which would uh, uh, empower them to take other lands, viewing it as their only means for survival against a growing Western threat. So I would not say that NATO has been a deterrent, but rather um, a catalyst for uh, Russian expansion. And let's say that NATO was a force uh, for good that uh, 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 discouraged Russian expansion and, contr- and uh, was a, uh, a controlled the threat of Russian expansion. Uh, even if they were, then that would be the responsibility of European countries in NATO to take care of. It's not a responsibility of the United States. Or rather, it shouldn't be a responsibility of the United States. So are you saying Russia wouldn't be trying to take Crimea or parts of Georgia if NATO wasn't there? Oh, perhaps they would. Uh, But they wouldn't have, it wouldn't be as urgent. There wouldn't be as great of a sense of urgency for them to do so if NATO didn't exist. Okay. So you're saying NATO is accelerating yes. the process. Okay. So then, why is it that the United States should not be concerned with the affairs of their allies in Europe? Well, in what sense are they allies? Well, we have... A lot, we are incredibly friendly towards, um, towards Great Britain, towards France, towards Germany. Those are definitely our core allies within Europe. Um, Poland is extremely fond of the United States. 
And I'd say if we maintain our stance in, or if we maintain our position in NATO, we're looking out for them. We are committing towards their safety. And in turn, they would also be committing towards our safety. I don't see how they would be committing towards our safety, especially when we bear the bulk of our own personal safety and their safety as well. Well, then if we leave NATO, do you think we would still be able to maintain our alliances with um, the key Western European nations? I shouldn't see why not. Okay. Uh, another part, um, another thing I want to touch on is what should NATO's role nowadays should be? Well, what its role nowadays should be? Uh, there shouldn't necessarily be a role for NATO. So then how would you go through a process of disbanding it? Because obviously there would be a lot of infrastructure that has to be taken away. Um, U.S. bases might have to trade hands. U.S. troops might not be stationed in Europe. Um, The framework of the Supreme Allied Command would be completely disbanded. And um, there would be situations where the U.S. wouldn't be able to have bases to launch air attacks against terrorists in the Middle East. Is that beneficial in any way? I would say so. Really? Yes. Okay. Well, well, what, what present threat do terrorists in the Middle East pose towards American domestic security? Well, it's our... I'd say it's our obligation to be able to support Middle Eastern nations in order to combat a common enemy. It's our obligation. Yes. And when did we incur this obligation to take care of a foreign people? When we became a world power. I mean, if we want to maintain a good relationship with countries, we must be there to help them in their time of need. And in the end, they'll repay us with friendly diplomatic relations and repay us in supporting us when we need them. Well, I mean, you've seen what happened after the Revolutionary War. Once we stopped, when France was going through their troubles with England yet again after the Revolutionary War, we decided to declare a neutrality, and then France began to seize our ships. Yes, but we are much more, but in the present day, we are much, much more militarily superior to any European country. Well, yes, that's understandable. And then... if, if we were to remove all military support uh, from Europe, I don't see any reason why something like, say, trade negotiations shouldn't go on, especially when we're one of the major trade partners of those countries. But military support and military alliances bolster strength and bolster cooperation between nations. I mean... You, we've seen what ha- um, we've seen Vietnam, we've seen Korea, where yes, while it's not a NATO mission, it was a group of allied nations consisting of NATO nation of NATO nations going to those war zones to support each other. But at that time, we had a 
global threat, and that was the spread of communism. Today, we don't necessarily have that threat, unless you are to make the argument that uh, the spread of um, um, Chinese influence it, it, of, or Chinese influence or of Islamism in the Middle East are comparable threats. But I wouldn't say that they are, at well, least then, not towards the security of Europe and the United States. Let's say, let's say that the U.S., that NATO was completely disbanded. And in the next 10 years, China begins to become increasingly more militaristic in the South China Sea, which gets to the point where there is a war against the island nations in the region, including uh, the Philippines, Malaysia, Vietnam, and those southeastern nations. Um, and then the U.S. has to go in and... Um, support its allies in the region. Well, would we, I mean, without NATO, we wouldn't be able to go back to European nations and be like, hey, we're still in a military alliance, help us out, and we'd be able to keep this military alliance. Because the fact that NATO is, NATO is here to be able to create a framework of trust in between nations where they're able to Lean on each other's shoulder when they need to for support. In that case of a war in the Pacific between uh, China and the island nations, unless the U.S. is in the direct line of fire with China, or if major trade is being intercepted, uh, and would and would be intercepted within the long term. I don't see any reason why the United States would have to get involved. That but, seems like a crisis that the island nations in China would have to figure out. Or if, you... or if Europe wished to inter wish to interfere, then they may be then uh, they may be able to interfere. But it's no place for the United States. But aren't but don't you think? Aren't you a great um, proponent of? Um, of claiming that China is our greatest geopolitical enemy. Yes, okay. but they don't. But they don't. But they don't. Co uh, they don't pose a military threat currently. They may pose a cybersecurity threat, mm -hmm. uh, but nothing necessarily beyond that. Okay. Um, one final point that I want to touch on before we end. Uh, today's episode. So, a lot of jobs are also created through NATO, with um, U.S. companies benefiting from contracts of selling, for example, the F-35 Lightning program, which I believe is a complete disaster of a military um, program. But anyway, um, U.S. jobs are created with contracts in partnership with U.S. companies and NATO nations. Um, and these contracts have been proven to be effective because of the name of the NATO framework that is made. Um, if the U.S. is to pull out, there's a possibility of European nations focusing on withdrawing away from U.S. of relying on the U.S. so much and focusing on developing their own technologies, uh, which will create, which will. Um, I'd say deeply impacted the defense um, industry in the United States. Well, the the notion that the the notion that um, 
NATO and other military alliances bolster the U.S. economy uh, uh, because of military contracts is simply an absurdity. You would have to follow the uh, Keynesian uh, uh, belief that um, allocating resources towards something like, say, war is beneficial towards... um, Well, no, I'm not saying that, but I mean, it creates more jobs in a way. Yes, but Terry, if the supplies and the resources that go towards the military industrial complex, if the metal, if the steel, if the manufacturing technology, if the labor had gone towards something that was more productive uh, in, uh, say, the the production of consumer goods rather than in uh, the creation of military goods uh, or, or military supplies, uh, the, the former scenario would be much more beneficial towards economic growth than, say, um, uh, uh, building of military technology. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a ridiculous notion that simply because jobs are created, then an economy grows because of it. If that were the case, then uh, socialist France during the 1800s should have been thriving because they were creating so many jobs by having people dig holes and fill them back up again. Uh, but but just because that they're putting in labor and they're creating jobs doesn't mean that that's going to anything productive. And by far, could there, and definitely the resources that go in the, that are, are used in the military industrial complex would be much better if they were allocated towards different markets and different fir- and uh, different industries than if they were in uh, in the um, in the present uh, way in which they're being used in the military industrial complex. And and I find the notion that. Uh, we should maintain this uh, military conglomerate, which costs us the lives of American and European soldiers, that it should be maintained simply because it uh, brings in profits for a couple military donors. I find that rather despicable. Okay. Um, so with the episode coming to a close, I want, for our closing arguments, um, I want us to talk about what Europe in the world might look like without NATO? If the U.S. was to pull out now, what would you think Europe and the, geo- and the world geopolitical situation would look like? Well, Europe has never been an area that had stability. Uh, you could Arguably, it could be said that the greatest period of stability within Europe was during the uh, the age of Metternich. And frankly, I wouldn't be too displeased with the resurgence of the age of Metternich. Uh, but U- Europe will always be, and Euro- as well as other areas in the world, will always be volatile. Uh, and that's, and Europe already is volatile with certain issues pertaining towards um, the EU and uh, 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 EU bureaucracy and the refugee crisis, or more accurately described as the migrant crisis. Um, uh, So the removing, uh, the the, uh, pulling out and the the, uh, uh, dissolving of NATO uh, would simply uh, remove a unsustainable unifying factor. And it would force Europe to work out their differences in a more productive manner rather than just kicking the can down the curb simply because they rely on each other for military protection. Um, 
And I think that the reason why there is a stagnation of uh, political um, progress, I suppose, I guess you could say in Europe, uh, political and economic progress in Europe is due to the fact that they have relied on the United States for so much support uh, in terms of uh, financial and military support. So mm-hmm. I think that the remo- that uh, removing the, ni- the United States from the picture, at, at, in, in the military sense, uh, at least, will overall be better for Europe in the future than it is currently. All right. Well, personally, I feel like if the United States was to leave NATO at this very moment, through, well, one, besides from all the confusion... Russia would see this as an opportunity to um, take more land from the Ukraines, take more land from Georgia and the nations around that area, um, be much more aggressive with their push towards land expansion. Um, and I believe we'd see the beginnings of the frag- of more fragmentation within the European Union, um, more distrust between European nations um, and we'd probably see the beginnings of a political climate similar to uh, to the, like towards the, towards the um, era before both world wars um, with deeper internal alliances that are interwoven um, and Honestly, I believe Russia would be able to capitalize on this. I mean, they probably do see that, in a way, Europe is very fragmented. All nations in Europe, um, they don't all have a perfect relationship. And the, fra- and the lack of NATO would lead to more fragmentation, which means possible European Union um, dissolvement and possibility of more internal... Uh, alliances, military alliances, and higher tensions within the European Union. So, yeah. That's what I see. Okay. Well, anyway, um, we've reached our time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Next week, the episode will be aired on November 2nd. And November 2nd is extremely close to the midterms on November 6th. So we will be doing an episode on the midterms, what to expect with the midterms, um, what could change in both the uh, in both California and all of the United States in the whole. Um, I'm still thinking about uh, about whether or not we're doing like a lo- one large episode or if we might change it into two parts. So stay tuned for next week. Next week is going to be really exciting. A lot of crazy stuff happening and a lot of changes that will be made. This midterms um, is definitely going to be one of the most pivotal midterms in our lives. Anything else to say, Cooper? Nope, that's about it. Okay. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great day.